I wanted to ask you if you've ever been in a situation where you wish you knew how the story ends, that you, where you wish you knew kind of what the end result of all of this was going to be. I had a teacher in elementary school that used to read the last chapter of a book and then start at the beginning, which is a horrible thing to do. Um, but she liked to know how the story would end so she could see it all come together towards the ending. Still weird, but that's what she do. But knowing the ending or knowing where things are going can be really, really helpful. Maybe you wish you knew how something turned out because it would help you persevere through it and go to college and sometimes in the midst of all of the studying and the accumulating of copious amounts of debt, you wish you could see yourself, like just know that this would end in a career that was able to pay the bills. Or maybe you've been received a diagnosis or battled a sickness and you wish you could just see yourself on the other side of whatever that sickness was and just know that you would get better. Maybe it was a breakup that you had and you wish... And you're thinking, man, am I, I wish I knew if I was just going to end up with somebody and that would help me persevere. Maybe you're a Steeler fan and you're just wondering why you still wondering why you didn't make the playoffs and just wondering, is this really going to be the rebuilding year that I'm hoping for? I don't know. But there have been seasons in my own life where I look and I wonder, what does the other side of all of this look like? Like, is there going to be a place that I get to that will help me be at ease? Like, because knowing that end result can be really, really helpful to help us persevere to the end. Well, as you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 9, we're going to see God give some of the apostles a window into the future. They're going to see how things really are. They're going to see Christ in glory. And they're going to get direction for how to live. And we're going to see that in the Christian story, suffering gives way to glory. In the Christian story, suffering always leads to glory. So turn in your Bible, if you haven't already, Luke chapter 9 will be in verses 28 to 36 together. <clears throat> it says this, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountaintop to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, that is Jesus, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at the time told no one what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, your word says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. God, your word is good, and you've given it to us. Lord, would you take your word this morning? Would you, would you use it to revive our hearts? Would you use it to make us crave Jesus more? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three simple points as we work through our passage this morning. The first is a mountain, a mountain. Remember last week? Pastor Elliot walked us through the passage where Jesus corners Peter and he asks Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter responds, well, some people, some people say that you are Elijah and some people say that you are a prophet. Other people say that you're like John the Baptist. But then Jesus goes directly to Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And this is when Peter confesses that Jesus is God's Messiah. The one from God to deliver his people from their sins. The one from God meant to lead God's people out of sin and give them victory over darkness. And our text picks up about eight days after this confession. And the text says that Peter, James, and John, along with Jesus went up on a mountain. And as we get into the text today, we must do a little bit of Old Testament review because it's impossible to fully understand this text without knowing the Exodus story a little bit. Story that happened thousands of years before this one. In the Exodus, if you know your your Bible, this will be familiar. If you don't, that's okay. Let me catch you up. In the Exodus, God's people were in bondage, in slavery under Egypt. They were oppressed, they were forgotten, they were abused, they were mistreated. They were, there was no way out. And God, through Moses, delivered his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He heard their cries, he heard their pleas, and he delivered them. And when God led his people out of Egypt, he, he took them through the wilderness, and Moses went up to a mountain where God met him and gave him the law, where God speaks or spoke to his people about all that he required. And so in this text, we're given all of these allusions to this Exodus story where God leads his people and he leads Moses up on a mountain. And so we have Jesus now with these apostles up on a mountain. And what are they doing on a mountain? Well, they're meeting with God. On The text goes out of the way, saying at least twice that they went up on this mountain to pray. That they went up on the mountain to talk to God. The mountain was a place of prayer, and the mountain was for meeting with God himself. In, in the book of Luke, we should notice something. 
because he does this in Acts 2, that whenever God is about to do something big or something really significant, it is usually preceded by prayer. Happens all throughout Acts. God responds to the prayers of his people. It happens in the Gospel of Luke 2, that when someone is praying, there's often a dramatic move of God. And God loves to respond to his people in prayer. I think maybe one of the first things we should glean from this passage is that that Jesus, James, John, and Peter, they go up on a mountain to pray and that God meets them there. God loves to respond to his people in prayer for it is in prayer that we learn to give ourselves to God and we learn to let God be God. And I think the fascinating thing we need to say about prayer is that God wants to meet you in your prayers as well. And I think Luke wants us to see that because he mentions praying more than any other gospel writer. And if we're going to make our way through life, through glory, through our stories, we're going to need to be people of prayer. And as this small prayer gathering is going on, something amazing begins to happen in verse 30. It it says, and I hope you have your Bibles open, it says that as he was praying, the appearance of Jesus' face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Jesus, and it's kind of a weird passage if we want to be honest with it, Jesus gets transfigured before their eyes. And he, and he appears in glory, and his clothes are dazzling white. And then Moses and Elijah show up, two revered people in the Old Testament, and these symbolize and represent um, two, different, two different things. Moses was the person that received God's law, led, told it to the people of Israel, and led the Israelites through the wilderness. He was a great prophet. And Elijah was a prophet who never died. And he was a symbol of what was to come. So we have Moses, a symbol of the past. Elijah, a symbol of what was to come. And here they are meeting with Jesus himself. The past and the future collide in Jesus. And we see the starting point of living faithfully in life with a view of what God has done and a view of where God has God is going and to realize that it finds its answer in Jesus. Which brings us to our next point. We have a mountain, then we have a suggestion. Well, not only do we get to see Moses and Elijah with Jesus, we get to hear what they're discussing about. What is it they're discussing? The text says in verse 31 that they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. What are they talking to Jesus about? They're talking to Jesus about all that he was about to do. They're talking to him about his journey towards the cross and his victory over the grave. And I love that the text says that it, that assuming that he would accomplish it, they say that they were discussing all that Jesus was about to accomplish. They were, Jesus was going to do it. Jesus was going to go through immense amounts of suffering 
before rising victorious. But in the Christian story, suffering always gives way to glory. Peter, James, and John, they've fallen asleep at this prayer meeting. And they wake up and they rub their eyes and they're like, what in the world? They see Jesus before them in all of his glory. And they see Moses and Elijah. Exodus says this, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. So we see this kind of overlap of the Exodus story and this account here in Luke, that, that the apostles wake up and as the Israelites saw Moses' glory when he come down, came down the mountain from speaking with the Lord, so, so Peter, James, and John, they're looking at Jesus in all of his glory. They see Jesus, and they see the two men. And then Peter trips up, hey, master, it's really good that we're here. We should build up a couple of tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Text says, not knowing what he was saying. Peter's like, whoa, 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 we got these, we got, we should have we should celebrate this. We should build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's mark this moment. Let's, let's celebrate this. These, these two guys are leaving, and Peter's like, whoa, where are you going? We should build three tents, and we should sit in this a while. Let me ask you something. Have you ever wanted to freeze time? Like, have you ever had a moment where it's like, oh, if I could just hold on to this, everything would be all right. Or give them a moment with your family, or, or, or if you could just pause, all would be good. Well, this is Peter. He sees his moment, and he does not want to let it go. He sees Moses and Elijah, and he wants to have a little festival. He wants to bask in this moment, not realizing what he was saying. He's given this window into the future that he, that he really wants to last forever. He's like, whoa, 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 we got, this is amazing. We've got Jesus in his glory. We've got Moses and Elijah. Let's just, can we just sit with this? This past um, Friday morning, my family and I went in, out to Newfound Lake. And which we love to go to in the summer. And it was just a great morning. We had lunch. I listened to the giggle of my child. We played. I went swimming in the freezing water. It was great. It's like if I could just freeze time a little bit on those things. Or maybe you've been sitting around the table with really close friends. And you've lost track of time. And you're like, man, this is a sweet moment where you're just enjoying the presence of one another and maybe some good food and drink too. It's like, man, if I could just hold on to that forever. 
Maybe you've had an experience in church or at a conference or in your own private life where, where God seemed really, really close. And you get this picture of the future where God just feels really close to you. And you're like, man, if I could just hold on to this moment. We get these windows, right, and to the way things should be. Enjoying the laughter of a child, enjoying the presence of friends, enjoying the nearness of God. And we're just like, we want to hold on to that. And those feelings don't stay around forever. Eventually the dinner's end. You need to go home from the lake. And Peter doesn't understand what he's saying either. Because he does not understand the suffering that Christ would go through. He doesn't understand that he cannot hit pause on this moment. And that this is not the end. That Jesus was about to suffer. And that that window he was getting was going to come through suffering. Because suffering in the Christian story always gives way to glory. We get glimpses of eternity in our lives. And we're quickly reminded that these things don't last forever. Reminded that we, we live in a broken world. We're reminded that following Jesus is costly. There is a cross before there is a crown. We're reminded that we live in a world that is broken of disease and sickness and shattered relationships. And difficult days and struggles and hardships. We're reminded that we live in a world that thinks of our faith as antiquated at best and hateful at worst. We experience trials and sorrows, diagnosis, pandemic, friends that reject us, financial strain, marital strife, mistreatment from others. We live with brokenness. Sometimes following Jesus cost us a lot as well. And it's easy to forget that in the Christian story, suffering will give way one day to glory. That we actually get a picture of how things really are. That how things will be one day. And it's easy to forget in the daily struggles of life or in the suffering that we face, that the suffering will give way to glory one day. That the persecution you might experience at work or at school will give way to glory someday. That the difficulties of life and of following Jesus will, like a promise, give way to glory. Peter is given a picture of the glory of Christ. And it's a picture that he would need to hold on to because the suffering of Jesus would give way to the glory of Christ. Peter's given a picture of how it would all end. But I think the big question is, if we know that suffering gives way to glory, how do we live in the space between the glory in my story? How do we live in this gap? Well, I think that I would like to answer, attempt to answer that in our final point, which is a cloud. We've had a mountain, suggestion, and now we have a cloud. Moses and Elijah are leaving. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I want to build three shelters, not knowing what he's saying. And then the text reads in verse 34 that while he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. More exodus drama built into this story. The cloud settles on the mountain. And it sounds markedly similar to Deuteronomy where it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, that is Moses, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. So so this cloud comes and we have all of these allusions back to Exodus that, that this Jesus is the one coming like the prophet Moses that would deliver his people and that we get the direction that we must listen to him. And the cloud comes and the apostles get afraid. And this voice from the cloud says that Jesus is this chosen one. And what's the response of God to Peter's suggestion to build tents? The response of God was to point to his son, Jesus. So how do we live in the space between the glory and my story? Three things I want us to latch on to, at least three things. First, I want us to embrace the people of God. The cloud comes down upon Jesus and the apostles. A symbol of God's presence dwelling with his people. How do we live in a world marked by suffering and pain? How do we live when it costs to follow Jesus? Well, we, we live by embracing the people of God. The cloud settles amongst the people, symbolizing God's presence with them. Jesus is where his people are, and his people are where Jesus are. In many seasons of life, it becomes really easy to slowly drift from God's people, to slowly move away, to take baby steps away from the people of God. And friends, I've been a pastor long enough to know, to watch, to have seen people slowly drift away from God's people And then also drift away from Jesus. Because God is among his people. He dwells there. They, you, are a gift to sustain my faith and to sustain one another's faith. So we connect with the people of God. We choose to be plugged in because God wants to meet his people there. His presence rests amongst his people. That is the way Jesus designed it. So if you feel yourself slowly drifting away from God's people, slowly moving away from relationships, I want to encourage you to to plug into the people of God, to develop relationships. It's hard, it takes time, but I would encourage you to do that. If you're at a place where you've not taken any steps in community with others, join a community group. Ask a friend out for coffee or lunch. Invest. So, Embrace the people of God. And the second thing that's most clear from this passage is to listen to Jesus. What God is telling Peter 
And what he's telling us is that Jesus is still up to something in the world. How do we live in the space between the glory and where we are now? We live by listening to Jesus, to stick with him, to know that what he promises, he will deliver upon. Listen to Jesus. Many people are looking for for something to explain the meaning of pain. And I'm in the season of life where I'm walking with a lot of um, friends that are walking into some really painful situations in life with, with children and so on. And, and I can tell you that, that one of the things I can just keep encouraging them to do is just to bring their pain to Jesus and to keep following. We're all looking for answers to life's pain. And Jesus says in himself that he will do away with that pain. I've watched others abandon God altogether because it, because it costs them personally or because of their pain and trials but I want to say just listen to Jesus hear him know that he takes our pain upon himself and know that your suffering in the Christian story always gives way to glory there is no other system on the planet that offers the hope that we have in Jesus we follow a crucified Lord so it should not surprise us that we feel the world's brokenness too. Jesus is doing a new thing and he's doing away with all the sin, suffering, and sorrow. And we're called to hope in that and to listen to him. And what does that mean? Well, simply just ask yourself, what does faithfulness look like in my season right now? What does listening to Jesus look right, like right where I'm at? might mean re-engaging with a broken relationship. It might mean choosing to believe that following Jesus is worth being criticized. It might mean confessing a sin that you've long struggled with. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the one that promises the kingdom of God even though we weep. Listen to Jesus. His ways are good and right. He's come for the brokenhearted, the downcast. He's come for people like you and me, the least, the low, and the lost. And he's met us there. And he is leading us, his people, as Moses led the Israelites out of bondage to slavery. Jesus is leading a new exodus out of bondage to sin and into the promised land of life with God forever. Listen to Jesus. As the Israelites were told to obey the law, listen to Jesus because he is the voice of God himself and he calls us to follow him. How do we live in the space between? We live by listening to Jesus. would also say friends to behold the glory of Jesus that that whenever God gives you a moment where you see Christ more beautifully behold that glory see that he is worth your whole life that his value surpasses everything else that nothing can compare with the greatness of knowing Christ see his glory Peter was struck by the glory of the Lord. Be struck, be in awe of the glory. And the last thing I would say is to cling 
to our hope. After the voice had spoken, the passage concludes, after the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and at that time told no one what they had seen. Jesus stood alone. All of the hopes and dreams and longings find their answer in a person. He stands alone. He can deliver on his promises. He would conquer sin and death. He is our last and only hope. But he is a sure hope because if we have a savior who defeated the grave, we have a savior who will defeat sufferings. And listen, Peter would go into go into those final weeks with Jesus and he would watch his savior be crucified. He would be confused. He would do some really stupid things in the process, but he kept listening to Jesus and he clung to the hope that he had in Christ. And Christ eventually built his church off of Peter and the apostles. In the space between your story and the glory, cling to the hope you have in Christ. Cling to it. Know that he is going to make everything all right. Get that vision of the future and latch onto it. And realize that one day there will be only Jesus. Because your suffering gives way to glory. As we conclude the sermon, I thought I would read a poem from um, a poet named Malcolm Gite. And as I read... Let's let the meditation on this text move your heart toward hope and the hope that we have in Christ. This is a poem that he wrote entitled Transfiguration. And I think it's worth listening to. He writes, For that one moment in and out of time, on that one mountain where all moments meet, the daily veil that covers the sublime in darkling glass fell dazzled at his feet. There were no angels full of eyes and wings, just living glory full of truth and grace. The love that dances at the heart of things shone out upon us from a human face. And to that light, the light in us leaped up. We felt it quicken somewhere deep within. A sudden blaze of long extinguished hope Trembled and tingled through the tender skin. Nor can this blackened sky, this darkened scar, eclipse the glimpse of how things really are. Jesus sets things back right again in himself. And the Christian story, suffering, gives way to glory. And in those glimpses of eternity that we get... Well, those glimpses will one day be the way things really are forever.